All right, turn in your Bibles this morning to Psalm 100, if you will, and I, I know that um, most of you have probably at some point memorized that psalm, maybe in, in uh, Sunday school or for a school or something like that, but, um, you know, the Bible is filled with commands. The Bible gives us a lot of things that we should do, a lot of things that we should not do, right? And some of those are difficult commands. Some of those things are hard things to do. But if God gives us a command, then he always provides a way for us to fulfill that command all the time. God's never going to, to tell us something to do that we have no way of being able to do it. So if God tells us to stay away from something, he gives us the ability to stay away from it. If God tells us that we should be doing something, even if it's hard for us, he gives us the ability to do it. Right? And God gives us a command here, actually several commands in Psalm 100. But we'll just read all five verses here. It says this in verse number one. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Now, I'm not going to put you through a a grammar lesson this morning, but when there is no subject, the, the subject is the understood you, right? And there's a lot of those understood yous in this passage. But I want to look particularly at verse number two this morning. It says, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. I was out doing some work and I always, a lot of times I wear headphones when I'm working just for the noise and everything else. And a song came on uh, that I was listening to and got me thinking in this, in this direction. There is so much joy in serving Jesus. You know, over and over and over, that fact is made clear in the New Testament. In fact, turn over to Romans chapter 15. While you're turning there, I want, you to, I want to read you this verse in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 8. It says this, Ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that is, that is a joy that the world just, not that they don't understand it, but they cannot understand it because they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Until you come to know Jesus Christ, you'll never have that unspeakable joy. You'll never have that, that heart that's full of glory. But Romans chapter 15 and verse 13 says this, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost but fill you with all joy and peace. Over and over and over, we see terms in the Bible that are used to emphasize the Christian life, like wealth and riches and fullness and abundance. And it's not just, I'm not just talking about money. There's a lot of things that we are full of and abound with and, and have in abundance. But that's the kind of life that God's provided for us to live as Christians. The world's going to try to tell us the exact opposite. Right? How many times, and, and I've, I've had people say this to me before, and maybe you have too, maybe, maybe not every one of these things, but they'll tell you, well, you can't drink, and you can't smoke, and you can't go to the dance, and you can't do drugs, you can't be loose with women, you can't do anything. God's got you in chains, and it just makes it so that you have to live this miserable life. You, you, you know, it doesn't give you any freedom. But the truth is, is it's not that I can't do those things. I, I could. It's that I don't have to do those things. That's the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And when I say that, I, you know, think this morning about all the people that you know or the people that you encounter who are addicted to, to uh, alcohol or who are addicted to smoking or who are addicted to drugs or who are addicted to pornography. They don't have the choice to get away from those things because those things have them bound in chains. 
I'm not the one that's, that doesn't have any freedom. They're the ones that don't have any freedom. And I have that in Jesus Christ. I'd say I'm not the one that's in bondage. So this morning, I want to share with you, what I want to share with you is the joy in serving Jesus. There is so much joy in serving Jesus. And I know I've preached a couple hard messages at the beginning of this year. So I want to, I want to try to be more of a challenge and more of an encouragement to you this morning. So what, what I want to do is look at the ways that we can have that joy. Let's pray, and then we'll look at a few of these things this morning. Father, we love you. Give me thank you for your goodness. Thank you for an opportunity to be here. What a great time of fellowship that we can have together. What a, what a great encouragement we can find from your word. And God, I do pray that we'd have that joy in serving Jesus. Pray that you'd use the message in our hearts this morning, and we'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. Because I want you to see this, first of all, the redeemed have nothing to fear. The redeemed have nothing to fear. There is joy in serving Jesus, and one of those ways comes with the fact that we don't have anything to worry about. We don't have anything to fear. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Maybe you've heard this song before. I don't, I don't think we've actually uh, uh, sang it here or sung it here, but uh, it, it goes like this. In sin I was living, no thought was I giving of dying or where I would go. I was looking and buying, so hard was I trying to gain all this world had to hold. No peace and no pleasure could I even measure with all that I had to gain. But I repented and prayed, and God saved me that day, and now I've got something to say. I'm not going to hell. I met the Savior. What a story I'll tell. I'm saved and forgiven, set free, all is well. I'm not going to hell. Second verse says, now my life's worth living since I've been forgiven. Christ made a real change in me. I'm no longer crying when I think about dying because heaven's just waiting for me. Now Satan's still lying and he's always trying to lead you down the wrong way. But just call on Christ's name and he'll save you today. Look back to Satan and say, I'm not going to hell. I met the Savior. What a story I'll tell. I'm saved and forgiven, set free, all is well. I'm not going to hell. And they finished out the song with, because I'm saved by his power divine, saved to new life sublime. Life now is sweet and my joy is complete, for I'm saved and I'm not going to hell. Now, that's one of the things that a lot of times we don't think, we, we, we look at the, the, the joy of going to heaven. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing to look forward to. We get to go to heaven. But boy, if you ever stop to think about the fact that, man, and, and as horrible as the Bible talks about hell is going to be, I'm not going there. I don't have anything to worry about. I don't have anything to fear as a Christian. When you're saved and you know that you're saved, you have nothing to fear. I don't fear death because I know where I'm going to spend eternity. Right? You can't threaten me with heaven. I, mean, I, 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 I have people that are up there waiting for me. I'm waiting to go see again. You can't threaten me with that. And by the way, that ought to give us no fear of sharing the message of the gospel or no fear of going against the government who says that we cannot do those things. Right? We, we shouldn't have any fear of following the commands that we find in the Bible, even if it means that we go against the established laws or the established rules, right? There's going to come a day, and it's not too far from now, I'm afraid, where there will be parts of the Bible, and maybe even the whole Bible, that's considered to be hate speech. And we get out there and preach the Bible, we get out there and share the message of the gospel, and there will be Christians who are going to be put in jail. That's not the time to back down and stop doing it. Listen, I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. I know that my eternity is settled. What do I have to be afraid of? Kill me. Kill me. You're, you're sending me to heaven a little bit earlier than I was expecting to go. Can't threaten me with that. Right? There's nothing that we have to fear in life. There's nothing that we have to fear in death. 
The Bible teaches us that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and when we, we, when we receive him as our Savior, then we're delivered from the guilt and the power of sin. If that's true, and it is, then how can you be anything other than happy? There's so much joy in having a clear conscience before God. The first step there to joy in the Christian life is becoming a Christian. Wanting to be a Christian is not enough. Hoping to be a Christian is not enough. Pretending to be a Christian is not enough. You can imitate the real thing, but someday the truth is going to come out. And we find that in Matthew, where the Bible says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils. In thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. What a sad thing that that's going to be. Those who believe in Jesus, those who get up there and preach in his name, those who heal in his name, those who do all of these things, and they're going to get up and say, well, look at all the things we did. And he said, I don't, I don't know you. You've never trusted me as your savior. If you don't know you're saved, then get that taken care of today and begin your journey of joy in Jesus Christ. Now turn over to Acts chapter 16. Because we see the story of the Philippian jailer after he was saved, and boy, I tell you, you see, you see there in Acts chapter 16, the immediate result of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says this in Acts chapter 16, and I'm not going to take the time to go through the entire story or read through the entire story, but Paul and Silas, after they had been beaten and whipped and put in the innermost parts of the jail, that innermost parts of the jail was the worst part. That was, that was usually the dungeon area, the muck, the mire. Pitch black, it's not like they had electricity back in those days where they had any light, and I'm sure if any light was getting into where they were at, it was not very much. But here they were, sitting there uh, with, their, with their wounds, uh, and who knows how bad those wounds were, but I'm sure it was not just a little bruise here and there. They probably had open sores, and now here these open sores are being exposed to all this filth and, and, and everything else, and yet Paul and Silas at midnight are singing praises to the Lord. Now, that's joy in serving Jesus. That's, that's no fear in serving Jesus. Could you imagine? They had just gotten beat for the very thing that they were now doing, proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. And the Philippian jailer sitting out there hearing it, and I, I don't know what words to what song they were singing, but I'm sure that conviction was beginning to build in the heart of that Philippian jailer. And there, as they sang at midnight, an earthquake happened, and all the doors sprung open, and I'm sure the first thought in the minds of all of those prisoners was, this is my opportunity. I'm gone. Try to catch me again, right? But Paul and Silas, and particularly Paul, said, hey, stay here. Stay here. They rounded all the prisoners back up. I don't know how they did it, because if I was a prisoner, I don't care who's telling me to stay here. I'm gone, right? But maybe they heard Paul and Silas singing, and they were under conviction as well. I don't know. But however they did it, they were able to round up all of those people. And the Philippian jailer, because he knew that the penalty for allowing a prisoner to escape was death. And so there, he pulled out his own sword, and he was ready to fall on his own sword so they didn't have to go through the humiliation of a trial and the humiliation of being put to death, probably in front of his family and everything else. He was getting ready to kill himself, to take his own life. And that's when Paul stepped out and said, hey, don't, don't do that. We're all here. We're all here. Everything's fine. Everybody's back in their cells. They're back where they belong. Don't do that. And that man fell down on his knees and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And verse number 34 says this, And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Joy is the immediate result of believing on Jesus Christ as your Savior. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight. And now... 
I am happy all the day. I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but I'm excited that I'm saved. The redeemed have nothing to fear. Number two, turn over to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, a very, very well-known psalm to most of us. Again, probably another one that most of us memorized at some point in our lives. But Psalm 23 in verse number five says this, the righteous will not be forsaken. The redeemed have nothing to fear, but the righteous will not be forsaken. And it says this in particular, verse number five, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over in the presence of mine enemies. What a thought. The righteous will not be forsaken. A couple years ago, probably more than a couple years ago now, the church is six years old here, but when we were just about a year old, uh, we were just past our first anniversary, and we were, we were starting to get into kind of a tough spot. This is when we were still up there at the hotel next to uh, Short Pump Town Center. We had, we had saved a pretty large amount of money because we knew the, the cost and the expense that was going to be associated with trying to start a church, and uh, not just the rent that we were going to have to be paying mostly uh, on our own, but all the, everything that has to go along with it. You have to have a sound system and a piano and, and uh, song books and all of those other things. And so all of those expenses came, and we took care of all of those things, and, but, w- but that money was starting to run low. And even though we had a few people that were coming to the church at that time, uh, we were paying our bills, but it looked like the money was going to run out, and not all that long from then. And uh, I, told, I, I, I had that conversation with my wife, and I said, we're fine right this moment. We have, you know, we have a month or two at least that we know we can take care of, and that's not counting however much comes in with the offerings and everything else. But I, I mentioned that fact to my wife on a Tuesday, and the next day I went to the post office to check the mail, and once you know it, there was a check in the mail for $7,000. Didn't ask for it, didn't, didn't say anything about needing money. I'd only mentioned it to my wife, unless she called somebody and said something. But <laughs> if she did, I don't want to know because I think it's a great story. No, she didn't. But they, they had already sent, obviously, they had already put it in the mail and it had already gotten to the post office and it was already sitting there waiting for us. And that $7,000 was exactly what we needed to be able to get us up over that hump until where we had enough people coming that we could take care of the bills on our own. What an amazing thing that was. A couple years ago, Becca took the kids to the park to play tennis. They go up there and play uh, tennis quite a bit, especially during the summer when they're out of school. And one of them had to go to the bathroom right when they got down there to the tennis courts to start playing. So she said, well, before we start playing everything else, let's run up to the, run up to the bathroom, we'll go to the bathroom, and then we'll come back and start playing. Well, the bathroom at this park is in a different parking lot. So they all jumped in the car and uh, drove up to, to uh, where the bathroom was at, and she and Alex and Riley all ran in to go to the bathroom. Jackson didn't have to go, so he sat in the car. And she told him, you can lock the car if you want to, whatever. I mean, you're in the car, so nobody's going to steal the car or anything like that. So as she was walking out of the bathroom, she heard Jackson yelling at the top of his lungs. And she looked over to the car, and there was a guy with his hand stuck inside. He had opened the front door and grabbed her purse out of the front seat. And he didn't know Jackson was in the car. I'm sure it scared him just as much as it scared Jackson. But uh, before, she knew, before she could even get over there and do anything, he was, he was in a... Um, a white Dodge Challenger, and he squealed the tires trying to get out of there. Uh, and and he, obviously, he realized that she was coming out, so he didn't have time to steal anything else. But if you didn't know this, my wife is very, very wealthy, and um, <laughs> she keeps everything in her purse. She lost all the credit cards. She lost you know, the checkbook. We had the church credit card was in there, the credit card from Gill Grove, because we were still helping them out with some of those things, her driver's license, a lot of other cards and everything else. She had just cashed my paycheck, 
that cash was in her purse. I had just gotten a check from somebody for, uh, for building a, a table that it was not cash, but it was, it was in there. Um, she had some money from her mom. She had, she had a bunch of our money from the grocery budget that she was getting ready to go buy groceries. So altogether, I think there was about $1,000 in cash there. I told you she was wealthy. But uh, about $1,000 in cash plus all the cards and everything else. And about 20 minutes later, I got an alert. I wasn't there, but I got an alert from our bank saying that somebody was trying to buy a $500 Kroger gift card, and that was the second one they were trying to buy, so it flagged it as suspicious. And I called my wife, and of course, she was, you know, she was all upset and everything. Thankfully, her phone was not in her purse. So, so uh, you know, we called, she called the police, and they came out there, and they said, it's happening all up and down the East Coast, down up and down 95, and it's just this big ring. We're probably never going to find them, but we'll, we'll go, and we'll see what we can do. And they never actually found out who it was, but obviously, you know, it sounds like a rough week. It sounds like a rough thing to go through, and it was. But let me tell you something else. Probably about two or three weeks before that, we had gotten this random check in the mail. I, I, uh, our numbers happened to be on some kind of list. Our phone numbers were in a list of a, uh, um, a potential scam. Not, not a scam, but it was, uh, they had gotten those phone numbers illegally, and they were using that to call people to try to sell things. Somebody filed a class action lawsuit and all of those phone numbers that were in that list, they sent a letter, and we got this random letter in the mail one day saying, hey, if you want to join in and be a part of this class action lawsuit, you can. Not probably expecting to get too much money for it once they finally spread it out between everybody, but it'd probably be between $30 and $50 that everybody's going to get. And if you want to sign up and be a part of that, you can. And we were like, hey, 30, to, 30 bucks is 30 bucks for not doing anything. So we signed that paperwork and sent it in. Well, it was a few months before that. Probably, probably close to a year before that, actually. And so we had completely forgotten all about it. And two or three weeks before this happened, we got a check in the mail for $1,600. And, uh, you know, the, this random check came in the mail was for that payout. Uh, we filled all that paperwork out. And I, I planned to use that towards some projects and whatever else, and, you know, whatever else was going on, on around the house. But we hadn't cashed that check yet. So here we had a check for $1,600. And after Becca got her purse stolen, we lost all that money, I got to thinking how blessed we really are. Nobody was hurt. They didn't take any of the kids. They didn't steal the car. The only thing they got was a purse that had some money in it, and God had given us an advance of a $1,600 check where he paid us that $1,000 plus interest that we got back on that, from that thing that happened. No idea that it was coming, no idea that that was going to happen. And by the way, my kids, and, and really at the encouragement of my wife, my wife started praying for that guy, and don't have any idea what his name is, don't have any idea where he's at today, but I fully expect to find that guy in heaven. They've been praying for him every single night in our devotions for the last three or four years since that happened. And they, they don't know his name, so they started calling him Mr. Roberts. Picked the name, and so they pray for Mr. Roberts to be saved every single night. And I don't, that's what I'm saying, I don't, I don't know where that guy is today or what he's up to, but I fully expect to find him in heaven someday. Don't tell me that God does not take care of his own. Don't tell me that God doesn't care. Don't tell me that God isn't protecting those who call him their father. Don't tell me there's not joy in serving Jesus. Psalm 37 and verse 25, David speaking says, I have been young and now I am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God will never forsake his own, and that brings a Christian a whole lot of joy. Number three, I want you to see this, and if you will, turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. The redeemed have nothing to fear. The righteous will not be forsaken. Number three, the road will be fruitful. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number three says this. 
according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. God blesses those who honor him. Let me take a, a minute to address this issue right here. We have to be careful not to lose the joy of our salvation. So many Christians are going through life, and I'm, I'm afraid to say that a great many Christians have lost their joy. If you lose your joy, then you weaken or even lose your testimony. Turn over to Psalm 51. And this is another familiar passage to us, but in Psalm 51, David made his confession after the, that dark year in his life. He made a confession of his failures and, and sin to God. And he gave us Psalm 51, which is a wonderful, wonderful passage of, of reconciliation, but even more than reconciliation, it's a, it's a passage of, of asking for forgiveness. It's a, passion of, a, a passage of confession before God. And that's how we all ought to live before God as Christians. We ought to keep short accounts with God. Boy, you sin, don't let it go on. Get that right with God today. Well, you don't want that fellowship with God to be broken, and yet so many Christians are content to live with that fellowship broken because, well, I'll get it right someday, or, well, when I'm done with that sin, then I'll, then I'll give it up and I'll get it right. But keep those short accounts with God. Don't you want to have that blessing? But he says this, and, and there's so many great verses in Psalm 51, but we come down to verse number 12. And David understood that, that that sin had separated him from God, that sin had, had uh, kept him from, from enjoying what he had in his salvation. And he asked God this in verse number 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. You know what those verses say to me? That says when we are living with sin in our lives, we're not going to be a good testimony of, of what Jesus Christ can do for us. Because we, lost, we, we don't have that joy. And if you don't have that joy, what kind of testimony is that to a lost world? But, but not only that, he says, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Boy, we can use that testimony, that joy that we have in Jesus Christ to help lead other people to Jesus Christ, but we can help turn other people back to Jesus Christ, the transgressors and, and those that need to be saved. You, you don't impress many people favorably with your Christianity when you're living as a backslidden Christian with unconfessed sin in your heart. God never intended for the Christian life to be lived in sin, and that's why there's joy when we're living clean before him. David said, David asked God to, to uh, search him. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. What a prayer. That, that ought to be a prayer that you can pray every single morning in your devotion time. It ought to be a prayer that you pray at night before you go to bed. Search me, O God. I want to know if there's something there. Please help me get it out. Please, I want to be right with you. Please, I want to have that joy that's there in my salvation. Well, that's one of the benefits that we have of being saved. We have that joy, and when you're living in sin, it's gone. David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. There's joy in walking alone with God. There's joy in staying right with him. God wants our journey through life to be rewarding. He wants our journey through life to be enjoyable. Here's the difference in our mindset that needs to change. A lot of Christians live as if God's just looking for the next thing uh, next opportunity to punish them when, when the opposite is, exact, is, is actually true, right? God's not waiting for you to do something wrong so he can, you know, put his thumb down or waiting to punish you. No, the, the opposite of that is actually true. God's looking for ways and opportunities to bless us. Matthew chapter 5, right? The Beatitudes in verse number 6, it says, Blessed are they which do hunger 
and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That means when we are looking to live for God, when we are looking to do what's right, he's going to fulfill those desires. Of course, God will not let sin go and punish, but God also rewards the faithful. God certainly sees the evil, but he also sees the good, right? The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil. That's where we usually stop with that. That's where we teach our kids, right? God's watching you when you sin. God's watching you when you do wrong things, and he is. But that, that verse says, the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. And when we have that desire to live for him, when we have that desire to be right with him, he's more than happy to fulfill that desire and make our road fruitful. Turn over to James chapter 1. I want to give you the last point here and we're done. The redeemed have nothing to fear. There's joy in serving Jesus for that reason. The righteous will not be forsaken. What a joyful thing that can be for us. The road will be fruitful, and that brings us great joy as we go down this pathway that we call life. But number four, I want you to see this, the reward will be forever. Here's the truth. As great as it is serving Jesus here on this earth, we're not living for earthly rewards. We don't live for Jesus Christ because of what we can get out of him. Now, God's promised us blessings. He's promised that, that he'll open the windows of heaven and pour us out a blessing. That, that doesn't happen when we get to heaven. That's here on this earth, right? Uh, your cup runneth over. And, and all these other promises that we have for those who live for God. And, I, and listen, I don't think there's anything wrong with using that as a motivation. God wouldn't have put those verses in the Bible if he didn't want us to use that as a motivation, right? We, we can be motivated to live for him by the things that he gives us on this earth. But we're not doing it for that. These things are all going to pass away. So God blesses you with great wealth. When you're gone, you can't take it with you. So God blesses you with great health, and then you go get killed in a car accident. It doesn't matter if you had great health, right? I mean, there's all kinds of things that they're all fleeting. They're going to be gone. So we're not living for things on this earth. We're living for the rewards that are going to come. And again, well, you shouldn't be motivated by, by having rewards in heaven. Then why did God put it in there? Why did God tell us that we can earn crowns if we shouldn't be trying to earn those crowns, Right? James chapter 1 and verse number 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Turn over to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. There are five crowns that we can win, and I'm not going to go through all those five crowns this morning. But we see there in James chapter 1, it's the crown of life for the man that endures that temptation. When you're tried, you shall receive a crown of life. What a wonderful thing that is. Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 10, he says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And you shall have tribulation ten days. But he says this, Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. Boy, if that's not motivation... Well, that's not just some kind, hey, be thou faithful unto death. Well, that doesn't, a whole, that doesn't uh, profit us a whole lot on this earth, does it? Because that means that the, the death is the last breath that you took on this earth. It doesn't profit you a whole lot. But the crown of life, well, that's a reward that's going to last forever. We're looking for heavenly rewards. I want to hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to have crowns to lay at his feet. I want to be able to lay down my sword and tell him that I've fought a good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. That's what we ought to be living for. 
hey, one of these days we're going to stand before God. It's just like when your parents told you, hey, this is your list of chores. Don't care when you get them done, but they better be done by the time I get home. And you're playing and having a good old time, and all of a sudden you hear the car in the driveway. And now you're like a deer in the headlights, and you're rushing around trying to get them done, right? Hey, I don't want Jesus Christ to have to find me that way. I want to be found faithful. I want to be found serving. I want to be found working. I want to be found living for him. Whether he takes me home when I'm 95, when he takes me home when I'm 45, or when he takes me home in the rapture, I don't know when he's going to call me home, but I want to be faithful when he does. And there's a crown of life waiting for those who are faithful unto death. My father-in-law used to say all the time, we get all this and then heaven besides. What a wonderful thing that is. What a better way to live is there than that. See, it's a great life as a Christian. I'm trying to encourage you this morning I, it, it, to live for Jesus Christ. It's worth it. Oh, we have so many things that the Bible says that easily beset us. You know, the Bible in, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Wherefore, we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. But he says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Which means we have sin that we have to watch out for, but there's also weights. There's things that are holding us back that we may not necessarily see as sin or may not necessarily be sin, but they're holding us back from running the race the way that we should. Get rid of that sin. Get rid of the weights. Living for Jesus Christ is worth it. And when you finally get right with him and when you see what it feels like and when you know what it feels like to be on the mountaintop with Jesus Christ, you don't ever want to go back. So he talks about in Galatians, how are you going to turn back to the weak and beggarly elements wherewith you desire to be in bondage? Why would I ever go back to that way of living? Why would I ever want to go back to being in bondage to sin? I've got that freedom in Jesus Christ, and that only comes for those who know him as their Savior, and there is joy in serving Jesus. The redeemed have nothing to fear. The righteous will not be forsaken. The road will be fruitful, and the reward will be forever. Make sure you're saved. But once you are, keep living for Jesus Christ. Keep serving him. Keep witnessing for him. Keep being faithful to him. It's worth it. It's worth it. There is joy in serving Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Give me thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the reminder that you've given to each one of us. But the fact that we can have that joy in serving you. God, for those that may be in here this morning that have lost that joy, I pray that you'd restore unto them the joy of their salvation. And if that means that they need to be more faithful, if that means they need to get rid of sin, if that means they need to get rid of weights, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would work on our hearts. I pray that you'd convict our hearts to the point where we're willing to make those changes. And God, what an encouragement a message like this can be, but also what a challenge it can be to us when we're not living with that joy. God, I pray that you'd help every single Christian in this room this morning to have that joy that comes from serving Jesus. And God, if there is somebody that's never experienced that, doesn't know that peace, doesn't have that joy unspeakable and full of glory because they've never come to know you as their Savior, I pray that they'd get that taken care of today. Whether this is their first time, their 10th time, or their 10,000th time being in church, we all need Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior. And I pray that there would not be one person that walks out this morning without having that settled. Well, thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead, if you will, and please stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. This is an opportunity for you to talk to God.
If you need to get some things right with him, then there's no better place to do that than at an altar. That's a place of sacrifice. It's a place where you lay it down and let God do his work. And as the piano plays this morning, you come. The invitation is open. You come. down their harps hung them up on the willows we didn't want you to have that joy and the devil's going to do everything he can to keep you from having it that's why he continues to tempt us why he continues to do all these other things but God wants you to have that joy won't you get it right with him so you can what a great opportunity